You're listening to the Real Estate Insider Podcast, a bold look at reality, news, analysis, strategies, and opinions, direct from the veteran team at the Rain Research Institute, with today's host, real estate strategist, Russell Westcott. Hi, my name is Russell Westcott with the Real Estate Investment Network, and this is Building Real Estate Wealth, The Rain Way the interview series for sharing the behind the scenes stories for real estate investing success. This interview series is designed to provide you with the detailed insights, strategies, and inspiration to create a lasting legacy of financial independence. I'm glad you're here. And once again, it's time to build your real estate wealth. Today, I'm honored to talk with Jay Gabrani. Treating your real estate investing like a business is a core fundamental that we teach at Rain. And Jay was well-equipped from building other businesses to make the transition to real estate investing. And when he jumped into real estate, he did with both feet. Then as John Lennon says, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. When Jay shared his story of overcoming his biggest challenge on this interview, honestly, it left me speechless. Prepare for a wonderful story of entrepreneurship, focused, resourcefulness, inspiration, and how to have resilience in the face of a tragedy. Please enjoy this interview and share it with anyone in your life who matters. Please help me welcome Mr. Jay Gabrani. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Russell Westcott from the Real Estate Investment Network back here again. Today we have a, a wonderful guest on the line. You know, I was saw this gentleman just recently again, and you know what? I'm just so happy that I had a chance to uh, reconnect with uh, our guest today. So without any further ado, please welcome to the line, Jay Gabrani. Jay, how are you doing today, my friend? Uh, doing fantastic. Thank you, Russell. Great to be with you. Well, you know what? As I mentioned earlier, it's been far too long, my friend. We, uh, you know, we just had that uh, wonderful workshop uh, out in Ontario where, you know, we were putting some financial education for children in place. And yes. lo and behold, I saw Mr. This gentle giant. I always have called Jay Gabrani. You're, you're, you're just a, a tall fellow and you're just, you just have a presence about you. You walk in a room and there's just something about you, Jay. And then I, but I saw you in a completely different context on the weekend. You were, you were like super dad. You had, you were so beaming with pride and you had, you know, your Superman crest on and you had the cape and your children were just so, amazing i just everyone in the office when we came back and they go oh my goodness i could not believe jay gabrani's kids how amazing they are so so brother you've been doing something right and bringing up those kids <laughs> oh thank you so much you know what they are the world and i'm sure that everyone out there listening on the call who has kids would uh, would agree with me so we do what we do for them and bringing them to that weekend was really important because i want them at a young age to get some really good sense, financial sense, grounding, learn about these types of things, real estate, business. So that event was just a fantastic tie-in, and they had a great time. And they were just totally, after the weekend or after the one-day event, they, they were home the next, the very next day. They took action, you know, did a lemonade stand and all that kind of stuff. So they, they loved the experience. So I'm really grateful that uh, you guys put that event on in Ontario. Yeah, that was inspiring when you posted that on Facebook the day after, you know, talking like uh, talking like their dad, instant implementation on things. So, But, but was, did they yeah. come to you with that or was that your thoughts? Uh, no, it's what they learned the day before at the event. And, you know, uh, the ladies who ran the event were fantastic. They they set up the two, the, like the kids into the two uh, teams or whatever, and they were running their businesses, an ice, an iced tea stand and a lemonade stand. 
So my kids the very next day uh, said, yeah, we're going to do that. We want to do that lemonade stand. They loved it. They had the bug from the day before. So they came to me. Um, you know, they had an inventory list of stuff they had to do, like for the lemonade, the cups and all that stuff, cooler, ice. And they put it together. So I was really happy with uh, their effort. I was just kind of there to answer any questions, but it was their it was their gig. Let's put it that way. It was their effort. So really, really happy with what they did. Now, to be honest, did you buy a cup a cup or two of lemonade yourself? Yes, and I tipped uh, I tipped reasonably well, but apparently the tips got uh, distributed to all the people that were helping them. Uh. With uh, <laughs> they they learned they learned a little bit about what it what it's like to be an employer and to have to pay pay the people who help and all that stuff. So. They learned some valuable lessons, but yes, I enjoyed a I enjoyed a, a glass or two that yeah. day for sure. Little entrepreneurs in the making, there, my friend. I uh, I would uh, love it. Would would like nothing better. Nice. So yes, the chart training them now, and we'll see we'll see what happens. Nice. Now, for for people's benefit, maybe we'll just do do what I would maybe you know maybe we're showing our, our age here of calling something a Cole's notes summary, if you will. Uh, maybe yes. just give people a little bit of context, you know, Jay, about you know maybe where you live, um, you know where you've been, where you you do your investing, where uh, where you have your business, and maybe just uh, what you've do, uh, what you're currently doing within the context of real estate right now, and then we'll take a step back before real estate investing. Fantastic. Sure. Well, I live right now in uh, Oakville, Ontario. I've lived here since about 2006. Uh, I'm a single father with three kids. And and basically, um, my real estate investing started right after my first child was born. Uh, he was born in 2005, my son Jaden, in August. And uh, I started investing in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, about a year or so after that, after I had had some time to, I joined Rain. I I learned some stuff. So I started in Edmonton with small uh, portfolio of townhouses, and then switched focus right here to my own backyard in Oakville. So I focus here in Oakville on um, different different type of things. I focus on bungalows on sixty foot wide lots and rent them out for the long term and. Uh, it's in a great area. Like Oakville is a fantastic area. I don't know if all the people would be familiar with it, but uh, that's what I focus on. I focus on those type of bungalows in an old area south of the QEW so that uh, I know that the area is gentrifying and ultimately uh, is going to have a lot more value. So that's where I switch my focus basically. And that's where I focus today. It's right here in Oakville, right in my backyard. Right on. Yeah. I know we, we connected very early on. Um, you, when you first joined was, you know, fairly, fairly similar to a time that I was just, uh, taking the position I was with, with, uh, within rain. Um, but I, you know what, I never have ever heard your backstory before real estate. So maybe just share with some people, um, what you did, before real estate, if there is such a thing as before real estate, <laughs> and what led you to to get the bug being bit for you, sir? Yeah, no problem. That it's um, I just I'll just give you a nice simple version. I'm born and raised in Toronto, lived uh, around suburbs of Toronto, Markham, Mississauga, Oakville, my whole life, and I um, you know so I, I was a pretty reasonable kid. I liked school and all that stuff, but life kind of. I'll tell you a little story about a trip that I took to India. I was, uh, it was 1987. I was just uh, 16 years old and my father's whole family was there. So it was only the second time I had been there, but at least I was old enough this time to kind of figure out what was going on. And my grandfather, my dad's dad, he had built a uh, fantastic business there. 
And it was simple business. It was selling socks and underwear within India. That's it, like a population of a billion people. And he had built this business of uh, retail stores, some warehouses, and they also did their own manufacturing. And when I went on that trip, I was simply enthralled with just how this whole business thing worked because uh, I'd never really been exposed to it. My mom and dad, uh, you know, when they came here from India, they, they took jobs and, and were working. So I didn't really have any business exposure until that trip. And I was so uh, kind of, I got the entrepreneurial bug at that age right then. Uh, when I returned from that trip, I told my parents that I'll never work for anyone after the age of 25. You know, they, they kind of looked at me funny and they said, oh, yeah, okay, whatever, but just make sure you get your education no matter what you do. So that's what I kind of ended up doing is that I, uh, I graduated high school and I got accepted to university. But, you know, you don't really know what you want to do. I was only 18, 18 years old at the time. You don't know what you want to do for your life. And I had no clue what I wanted to take in university. Uh, so all I ended up doing was I ended up doing my dad was an accountant. So I ended up taking chartered accounting at the University of Waterloo. And, you know, the one good thing about Waterloo, it was great in terms of you had cooperative education. So this was my university career. My first four-month term started in September of 1990. I went to school, did some courses. And then January of 1991, if anyone knows anything about accountants and a busy season and tax season, I got thrown out into the workforce. I had just turned 19 years of age, and I, and I picked up a job, a co-op job at a firm called Deloitte & Touche, and went through the kind of normal uh, process of what an accounting student would go through. The beautiful thing about it was, is that I realized I did not like it. I disliked pretty well anything and everything about accounting, except for the people that I work with. The people were great, but the work was just uh, dull. It was just boring for me. Uh, no stimulation, no challenge. So ultimately, I, but I also didn't know what else to do. So I went back to university after the co-op term. I finished off my degree. I basically, uh, after graduation, I joined another firm called Price Waterhouse. I wrote all the exams and did all the articling time, et cetera. But, uh, you know, I knew that it wasn't for me. So I went through that extra two to three years of work and I left Pricewaterhouse. Uh, I still remember the date. It was December 27th, 1996. And that happened to be the day before my 25th birthday. So I have been on my own in terms of being an entrepreneur ever since uh, after Waterloo. I opened up a franchised cafe restaurant, go figure. I mean, like from accounting to, <laughs> to restaurants like that. So I, I opened up a, a franchise cafe called Williams Coffee Pub. It was a young up and coming chain at the time. I opened up a location in Burlington, Ontario, Canada. So I went from accounting to a restaurant. I had never worked in a restaurant before, never done anything with a restaurant before, but I loved the whole idea of owning my own business and being my own boss. So I uh, invested in the franchise and uh, had that franchise a long time. Like I opened it in 1998 by the time we figured out the location and, and got all the build out, out done of it. And I owned that for like 13 years. I had it for a long time. It's where I cut my teeth in business. Uh, you know, we regularly served, uh, I'd say somewhere in the five, 5,000 to 6,000 people a week in that range. And ultimately, that's where I cut my teeth in business. That's where I learned a lot about business face-to-face. -face. You know, customers are coming in the doors every day. 
Um, the business did very well in terms of being a bachelor, especially to support me. I was, it was fantastic. You know, did over a million dollars a year in sales and, um, was just a great place to learn. Like if you can, you know, there's an old saying, if you can make it in the restaurant business, you can make it in any business because it's just (laughs) every day it's at you and every day it's, uh, you know, there's different things coming. So yeah, that um, the old other saying is how do you make a million dollars in the real estate in the, in the restaurant business? Well, start with three, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So after, I mean, like restaurants, um, and I, and I can cut up my 13 years of ownership at Williams into two very distinctive pieces. Um, one was, uh, was basically the first seven years, the first seven years, I was what we would call the owner and the operator of the business there every day, putting in the hours, um, handling all kinds of things, right? Whether it was, you know, serving customers, doing the schedule, payroll, ordering all that stuff. So all of that toolkit and caboodle of running a business, it was all under, um, it was all under me. So I had to learn how to delegate. You had to learn how to just figure out what you're good at, what you're not good at. There's so many things when you do business that uh, you can spend your time on. But ultimately, that the first seven years was the owner-operator, and the, the last six years was much more what I'll just call the investor. Uh, that, that time got cut up right between that first seven years. Um, my son was born. And when he was born on August 13th, 2005, I decided, you know what, I'm going to want, I want to spend a lot more time at home with him um, and ultimately wanted to work a lot on real estate. So I hired a manager uh, to run the store. Dwayne was his name. And uh, that allowed me, I slowly trained Dwayne and that allowed me to kind of pull out of the whole operation of the restaurant and work on the business instead of in the business. And that is what led me to real estate is because that next six years, yeah, I worked on the business, but I was working at home. I had, I had more time and that's where I invested in learning about real estate and educating myself. So that gave me a really good basis, the business experience and just being able to carve out some time to really learn about something that you wanted to do. And when he was born, I just wanted to figure out, well, how does everyone take care of these kids? Like, how do millionaires become millionaires? And that is what set me down the path of learning and reading and ultimately my introduction to Rain. Wow. So you you literally just, you know, you had the entrepreneurial bug always within you. You got that at a young age of, you know, uh, 16 when you went over with your family uh, to India, and then it's it's always been within you. That's what an incredible story. You literally just bootstrapped it. You learned whatever skill you needed to learn. You cut your teeth in the in your real estate business, learned all that, and then as any entrepreneur's journey is, you wanted to then start working on the business as opposed to in it, and then that mm-hmm. led you into into real estate. Now, were you also um, building? You had a marketing company at the time too, didn't you? Or is that something you? Uh, that was just. That was actually a little bit after, yes. Okay. After I had sold Williams, I had sold Williams in 2011 because I, by that time I was into real estate and I wanted to focus on real estate and um, yeah, just the day-to-day operations of running a restaurant, having overhead staff, et cetera. It just, it wasn't for me anymore. And I was able to cash out at a pretty good price and then just, you know, focus on something else entirely different. So the marketing business actually was more, it was called Golden Key Marketing. 
And that was focused on any of the new age. Like if you're going back to 2011 and 12, Russell, I mean, like the whole social media thing was just really starting. Smartphones were starting to become commonplace. So there was a really big area which I saw that people didn't know, especially business owners, didn't understand about marketing. So then I opened up a marketing company called Golden Key Marketing, and we worked on uh, mobile marketing campaigns, how to get how to get more business through sending your advertising to your customers' phones, and um, you know had a great time with that. That was a great business because I could see when entrepreneurs, when I sat down with them and I explained to them just you know, teaching them about, look, this is a, there's a totally different way out there. You don't have to do all of the stuff that you traditionally did, like newspapers or direct mail or different types of marketing. There was easier ways to market. And when a kind of a light flipped on for the entrepreneur, that's when I felt, I felt really good about it. So yeah, it was a great business in terms of kind of consulting and just giving people what was happening right then and there, new age stuff. So yeah, that was a little bit after, but um, certainly a great, uh, enjoyable business, nice. meeting business. And well, talking. Done. Yes. well done. So, so I'm going to just actually just take a, a, a little tangent here and just uh, talk about, you know, one of the primary principles we teach within rain is, uh, you know, treat your real estate like a business. And it sounds yeah. like you have an incredible amount of business experience. So, you know, I'm yes. not trying to put you on the spot here, but what, what do you think some of the key skill sets that you learned from your business background, um, helped you become a really good real estate investor? Well, great question. Uh, you know what skill sets, uh, the one big one that I can think of, and I think this one is really, really important, is that when I was coming up in the business and when I just started learning about real estate, I thought I had to have everything. The money, the credit, the collateral, the experience, et cetera, et cetera. And then when you realize it, you're like, it's, it's impossible virtually to have every single thing that you need for you yourself. So the skill I wanna, uh, that I want to mention is the one of resourcefulness. It's not about having resources. It's about being resourceful. And if you can be resourceful, that's one thing you had to be in as an entrepreneur, at least back in that day in, when I was running Williams. You had to be very resourceful for when things were happening, unexpected things. Your espresso machine, I remember a Friday night, I had a lineup out the door and my espresso machine broke down. You have to figure out what to do when you know things happen. So resourcefulness and just... Um, and I think really this one I didn't have early on. The second skill I would really uh, urge people to concentrate on is the one of focus. The ability to focus is, um, I think, becoming a lot tougher now because we are simply, you know, we live in a world now where we're interrupted constantly, um, whether it be on our phones or driving along the highway and seeing billboards or whatever it may be. So the ability to focus in any business, especially on the things that will make that business go, are is a very important skill for someone to develop. And that, and people might think that they have to, they can't learn them. These are all skills that can be learned. So resourcefulness and focus, I think, are the two um, biggest things that I could say. Whether you're running a business, whether you want to build a real estate portfolio, whether you want to educate your children, whatever it may be. 
I, those are the two that I would certainly go with. Wow. Those are two amazing skills that will, that those two skills will serve anybody in anything that they want to choose to do in life. And, and I believe, uh, I believe we have a, a, a shared coach at the same time. I, didn't you, did you go through the Les Hewitt Power of Focus coaching program as well? Yes, yes, certainly yeah. did. It, and again, uh, see, I never would have been introduced to Les Hewitt and Power of Focus unless I was already a member of Rain. Like if we were thinking of that, if we think of that chronological order, my son was born in August. I, uh, I did a whole bunch of reading and stuff after that. And I was, ex- the first time I was exposed to Rain was I believe in November of 2005. And November, 2005, I remember doing the Google search because I had, I had read a bunch of stuff about real estate, but a lot of it was US based. And I was like, man, you know, like some of this stuff, like the knowledge is great, you know, rich dad, poor dad, all that stuff. The knowledge is great, but where can I get some kind of Canadian content? And I still remember Russell typing in into Google real estate investing in Canada. <laughs> and I hit the I hit the search button and there you go. It was Don's book. And I was like, wow. So I ordered the I went right away to the chapters. I bought the book and I had it read within like 24 hours. I read the whole book. I didn't stop. And that whole thing, joining Rain, uh, about three or four months later, I believe it was, one of the guest speakers at a Rain event was Les Hewitt. And Les had a coaching program, a two-year coaching program. I believe it was you know, somewhere in early 2006 we started. And uh, yeah, we went to 2008. Lifelong friends from that program. Uh, mastermind groups, two mastermind groups specifically uh, that I'm a member of now, even now, like years and years later. They all were spurned from that group. And uh, I remember that Don was, uh, Don Campbell was in that initial class. So here I was, a three-month member of RAIN, being totally astounded by what I was learning, and I was then able, I didn't know Don would be a member of the group, but I was a member of that group, and there, I, the first day of class, I was so uh, happy to see Don Campbell walked in. So I had, um, let's just say, a, an opportunity to, you know, to sit and chat with him, and, and you know, he obviously is a big mentor of mine. And yeah, so power of focus was all spurned from, from Rain. Nice. Yeah, I can't speak highly enough for that program as well. His book, the uh, the power of focus, I refer, I literally refer to that book every year. And another book, uh, one of his co-authors, Jack Canfield, his success principles is something that I've probably read three or four times now. So, two two staples in my success library. Yes, and I, I, maybe that whole the whole concept of a library that maybe should be brought up is that yes folks when you're out there and you're you want to educate yourself just picking up a good a good book it's like invaluable you might spend i don't know 10 15 30 bucks for a uh, for a book but the knowledge you can get out of it from especially the all-time classics uh, everyone should have their library built and yeah, totally a big believer in reading and learning and self-education. Absolutely. As you know, Jim Rohn says, you know, skip a meal, but don't skip a day of reading. Yeah, yes. exactly. So, exactly. so, so 2005, you rain member, give or take around that time you had, you know, bought a few places in Edmonton, then you, um, 
decided that it was a little bit too cyclical. Let's call it has a nice term, a cyclical in Edmonton. And you decided, yeah, that's what that's what we'll call that. <laughs> it has some big cycles, some some big ups, some big downs, some flats, and you have to be prepared to to get on board, and and you have to be prepared for some market cycles, which is inevitable in every every economy, as we know. And then you started to getting back closer to home with your investors. So maybe give us a a snapshot of what that phase, you've sold your business, you kind of have your marketing business on the side, you've become a RAIN member, and you're starting to build your portfolio. So what's the next chapter in there? Well, after Edmonton, you said it. And even though I joined RAIN in 2005, because I had really no experience with real estate, I took a good year, year and a half of just learning. I attended every event that RAIN held. I was learning, I was networking, and when I started in Edmonton, unfortunately, yes, I bought pretty well right at the top of the market. I don't think you could have bought any higher than I did, and yes, within six to 12 months, it had dropped um, pretty uh, drastically, but when I, and I I didn't feel good about it, obviously. I mean, like the first uh, two properties, the first property I did myself, but then the next two properties, I had joint venture partners. And I remember talking up Edmonton and saying, it's great, oil-driven, lucrative. And they said, yeah, okay, we're with you. And boom, within that six to 12 months, it fell. So obviously, I didn't feel too great about the whole thing, but I was still determined. And another book, it was a book that changed some things at that time. Uh, it was Acres of Diamonds. And if you, if you read Acres of Diamonds, the gist of it simply is, is that right in your own backyard, there are diamonds. And I said, okay, that's fine. And even though I had moved to Oakville and lived here in my principal residence 2006, we're now looking at 2009. The credit crisis happened. Edmonton values have dropped. And I was like, okay, now what? And when I started focusing on Oakville, I just took the, again, the property gold mine scorecard and I started going through it. And I was like, wow, this thing, every, every economic fundamental we were looking at, Oakville was ticking the box, whether it had been income growth or population growth, transportation improvements. I don't know if people remember back then the QEW highway from one end of Oakville to the other, Trafalgar to Burlow, was being expanded. And it, it was creating horrible traffic jams and everything. But I had remembered sitting in one of those traffic jams on my way back home from a rain event, a networking event that night, and thinking, well, yeah, everyone else is sitting here in traffic thinking that they're, you know, it's, it's a waste of time and, and it's horrible and all this stuff. But I was looking at it like, wow, the area is going to become more valuable. Let's focus on Oakville. And the area I lived in, I just said, it's all full of, it was all south of the QEW. So these are all neighborhoods which are 50 to 70 years old, uh, really close to the lake. I just concentrated on bungalows. I said, okay, I can, I can buy these bungalows for 330 to 350 and I can rent them out anywhere around 1800, 1900. So the cash flow was there. I loved the gentrification and everything. All those, uh, by the way, on the gold mine scorecard, Oakville scored a 16 out of 20 back then. So to me, it was like a no brainer. Everything that I had learned, I had made some mistakes in Edmonton. I was like, okay, let's move forward. Let's keep going. And I went and uh, started investing in Oakville. So I brought in some more joint venture partners, guys uh, like the best man at my wedding. I told him what had happened in Edmonton. 
he had had some money lying around. He's like, hey, man, I'm in. Like, uh, you want to go in? Let's do this. Let's do this. And his name's John. So John invited his buddy Tony. Tony invited his buddy Sam. And it's amazing how it just kind of keeps uh, going forward um, when you are the type of person who people will, uh, you know, believe in and they and, and they trust. And and as a as a guy who was accepting people's joint venture money, I took it seriously. And you have to take care of it. You have to really do your research. So I was confident that the research I had done in Oakville will yield us profit and it'll yield us long-term wealth. So those guys decided to join me. And um, yeah, let's just say that they're very happy that they did. And ultimately, that's what I wanted to do. I said, yeah, let's focus right here in Oakville. It becomes a lot easier when uh, every day I'm driving my kids to school, I drive by my properties. Uh, going shopping, drive by the property. So you just in it and you just know it you see what's happening and um really thankful that i was uh that i made that switch back then in 2011 or so to Oakville. nice well well done so so you really just took uh, you know some people when you know there's bumps in the road or some obstacles that they have to overcome you know some people just fold their tents up right but you just took all those you know you you got unbelievable valuable lessons that you learned from from your first actions and then kept taking actions and refined it refined it moved to a different market put your money into a different marketplace and you just kept learning each step along the way so so well done so so now we're 2011 so um, when did uh, you know I know you have three children when did uh, when did the other children start coming into the picture okay yeah so Jaden was 2000, August 2005 Serena was February 2007, and my youngest, Angelica, was September 2009. So needless to say, like, life was busy, all right? Like, I had a business going with three young kids at home in less than, in just around four calendar years, um, and it, it, was, it was hectic. It was busy, but uh, when it came to real estate, I was just like, everything I had read, everything I had absorbed, I was like, it would be such a waste to stop after Edmonton. I know some people, maybe they make a mistake, they lose some money, um, and, and then they just want to give up and quit. And I was like, no, that, that can't be the, the, I didn't go through this work to order to do that. And Don, I remember saying, he was like, you can never score unless you shoot the puck or something. It was something like that. So Edmonton was me shooting the puck. And yeah, fine. You you mess up, you screw up. But then Oakville was me shooting the puck a lot more and scoring. So that's kind of the way that that I look at it is that um, failure is like practice shots. I, I have this philosophy. I had that a long time ago where uh, the only time you really can't afford to kind of do something else or do your next opportunity is like it's, it's like the last time you try. The last time you try is the only time where you should really keep going. So um yeah, I, I just, I, I wanted to keep going. So that that was really the gist of it. Nice. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to back up here in, in a second, but so, so what do you currently own today within that portfolio? Do you own most of your Oakville properties? I imagine you're, you're smiling ear to ear with what's going on in the Toronto marketplace right now. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, fantastic growth appreciation. But the way I had looked at it, the way I had positioned it to my joint venture partners in 2011, I said, it's predictable. It's, it's very predictable because the one the one factor out of the 20 that I thought was just, even if it just scored this factor, and for whatever reason it didn't score on the other ones, it was gentrification. 
So these bungalows that are sitting on 60-foot lots, they're small bungalows. They're like only 1,200, 1,300 square feet above ground with finished basements. These are all being demolished, and in their place, these custom homes, 3,000, 3,500 square foot custom homes, are being were being put up, are being put up, and will continue to be put up. So to me, it was like, yes, just stick with the gentrification. It's going to happen, uh, and that's what's happened. So now... I'm like, uh, yeah, Russell, it's crazy with the Toronto, that ripple effect, another another gold mine scorecard kind of factor uh, from Toronto. Just just being right close to Toronto, we're about 20 minutes west, uh, the ripple effect has taken place. And uh, kind of happy to say that the properties have basically, uh, they've all doubled. And uh, some of them even a little bit more so. So, you know, yeah, certainly happy with the growth. And, um, yeah, the, my partners are happy with the growth and, you know, thankful for it. Thankful. Well, well done. That's, that's fantastic. Always love to see, I always love hear, hearing stories of good people winning. And, and as my mom says from Saskatchewan, use good people. <laughs> you know what? Being a good person and hanging around with good people, I'm glad you said that. I, I think that's one, uh, it, it cannot be underscored enough. You just, it's so much easier Again, coming from a business background, having run staff of like 30, 40 people, it's so much easier when you have a pleasant personality to get things done, to have people do things for you, whatever it is. I try and teach my kids that be pleasant. Like it's so much easier uh, as opposed to being, you know, acidy and like vinegar and, you know, all that stuff. Be honey, don't be vinegar. So. Uh, yeah, good people. I think it, that's really at the heart of everything. Absolutely, you surround yourself with great people. So what? Uh, so you you know you've you, you got the entrepreneurial bug. You built a whole bunch of businesses, a marketing company. You have three children. You know, built a portfolio. One you know started one area, moved to another. What would be you know one of the um, biggest challenges that you you feel that you've had to overcome as a real estate investor? All right. Well. I'll give you a little context for it. So, yes, building up the portfolio, it sold Williams, running a marketing business. So basically going, uh, you know, it was busy. And, you know, my wife, Elizabeth, had had, uh, you know, she gave birth to three children in those, uh, you know, about four calendar years. Now, I'm going to take you back uh, to about 2011 Uh, A friend of mine had just built one of those custom homes right here in Oakville that I had just told you about. He tore it down, built it up, and uh, he invited us over for a visit. Basically, my wife and uh, all three kids, we went over there. But you know, like when a new house is built, like the driveway might not be done yet, and it's all muddy. So my youngest daughter, Angelica, asked my wife, Elizabeth, "Can um, can you pick me up and just carry me? So Elizabeth did that. And unfortunately, she uh, slipped on kind of the muddy part, and she wrenched her back. And you might be wondering, it's like, what does this have to do with real estate? But basically, the next day, she went to the doctor, and uh, the doctor prescribed her some pain medication. And that pain medication was called uh, Oxycontin. So now, you know what, Russell, this is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, um, my wife had developed, uh, she developed an addiction to painkillers. That day was the point. She had never taken one before that. Uh, that day, 
those pills. She had uh, taken them. And let's just say I was busy with everything else in terms of outside the home, uh, the real estate, the business. Um, she was kind of, you know, more in charge inside the home, the kids and just whatever goes on to run a household, which is busy. Uh, but that addiction, unfortunately, uh, you know, it really got to, it, it got to her. Like, I don't know if people out there have ever been exposed to people with addictions or anything like that, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was tough. So the challenge uh, Russell came that basically that 2011 to about 2014, that three-year time frame was uh, not what I'll call, you know, uh, overly joyful. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't one of those things where you know you wake up every day and you're happy. And the simple reason was is that the the woman I loved was she was suffering. She was going through a lot of stuff, and when you uh, mix in just managing household and then dealing with these painkillers, uh, just, it, it, it was a lot. And I could see my wife's, you know, self-esteem and self-confidence, uh, slowly kind of erode, obviously, you know, just simple things. Uh, she had a tough time kind of managing everyday life after a little while. Um, taking the kids to school, making the kids their lunch, like little, you know, things which she was doing as an everyday thing before started becoming more challenging. Uh, but just the, her confidence, her esteem, when it, when it kind of goes into a negative vicious circle, uh, it's, it's really tough to correct. And, um, you know, obviously with, with this type of thing going on, uh, things are not the greatest not the greatest at home, regardless of any outside, uh, what people might see as outside success, there's problems and there's problems. There was problems internally in my household. Uh, so, all right, this is going to be the tough part here. So, uh, um, take your time, take your time, Jay. Yeah. All right. So basically in October of, uh, 2014, my wife passed away. And, you know, invariably, people, when they hear that, uh, the next question is, oh, my goodness, how, how, how did she, what happened? She's like 40 years old, 41 years old, three young kids. What happened? How did it happen? Um, so before I kind of mention that, I just want to say that the reason I'm talking about this is because if it can help somebody out there who might be going through something that my wife was going through, or maybe even someone who is, whose spouse is going through or family member is going through something that she went through. Uh, I, I, if it can help somebody, then that's why I'm, that's why I'm going to talk to you about this. And, you know, she, uh, she didn't want to be here anymore. So <clears throat> it was, uh, it was devastating. You know, you just don't know what to do there in life. Like entrepreneur, anything that I had faced in business, that stuff, you know, it, it wasn't home. I was always able to separate business from home. And if anything bad was happening in business, it was okay. It was all right at home. But now that something wasn't going well at home, uh, I was kind of lost. So, you know, 
obviously the devastation is, uh, the devastation is there, right? Like my kids were devastated. I was devastated. Life had changed literally, literally overnight when one day she was here and the next day she was gone. Uh, simple things like, you know, um, kids school, getting them lunches, play dates, whatever. It all became my domain all while trying to, uh, heal and mourn and just understand kind of what had happened, uh, why it happened. Um, and ultimately all I can tell you is, is that, uh, it certainly is the biggest regret of my life that I wasn't able to help my wife out of her addiction, out of her depression. Um, but if you, if someone out there can do it, um, if they can help somebody, then you know what, uh, me saying this and me telling this part of my life, which again, of course, it's deeply painful. It's personal, but I feel as though that, uh, the only way that it can become an experience of any sort of benefit is if I'm able to share it. So biggest challenge brother was simply how do I kind of recoup in life? And I'll tie it back to real estate here. When I joined Rain, one of the main exercises was, uh, you know, do your personal beliefs. Why do you want to have real estate? So I, like everyone else, did the beliefs. I did my vision board. And on that vision board were things like, you know, a nice big house, some nice cars, vacation things. Uh, it wasn't, oh, man, like if my wife passes away, I couldn't really use real estate to kind of support me. I didn't write that on the beliefs, but that's exactly what ended up happening is that because of the efforts I had undertaken with her, by the way, I mean, like she was a big part of the Oakville section of the real estate portfolio. She would go and look at houses with me and stuff like that. Um, when I was able to, because of that work that I had done, I was, uh, I took literally from October, you know, 2014 when she passed away up until like December of 2015, like period of 15 months, I didn't do anything. The marketing business we spoke of, I simply uh, couldn't handle client requests anymore. I uh, closed it and I just kind of internalized everything. I just said, I have to be at home for my kids every day, drop them off, pick them up, make sure that meals are done. And I was able to do all of that because of real estate. I had refinanced a property and I took, you know, a huge chunk of cash and I just put it in my bank account. And I, that is what allowed me to, uh, it's what allowed me to mourn, to go through this process, um, whatever you want to call it, healing process, mourning process. Uh, you, you know, until life throws you that type of a curveball you don't necessarily know how to deal with it. So the challenge was simply, how do I get my life together? How do I raise these kids um, now that she's gone? And, uh, you know, as you get more distance between everything, certainly it becomes, uh, I don't know if easier is the right word to deal with it. But yeah, like the, as you get more distance between the event and you reflect on the event and you can somehow, if you can learn from the negative events, and you can somehow make that into a positive, then, uh, yeah, like everyone's going to go through it. Uh, it just so happened that my timing was then in 2014 to go through it. So that was a really long answer to your question about a real estate challenge, but 
it was a more of a life challenge, which real estate helped me to deal with. Wow. Um, <laughs> thank you for sharing. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm quite, I'm quite speechless. Um, I did not know the full story yeah. behind that. So, you know, yeah. thank you for sharing that. And, and I fully agree with you about your intention of sharing. Sometimes just sharing the story somebody might be listening to this, that this may help them out in some, in a dark situation or get somebody to reach out and ask for help, you know, yes. and it may change an outcome. So, so, you know, thank you for, for, for sharing all that. Now, how how are you doing now, my friend? You know what, Russell, now, uh, uh, so, so much better. Basically, um, that first year or so of mourning was, was very much that. And kind of a little bit of a turning point happened around what was what I'll call the one year anniversary of her passing. Uh, I made that decision like it was late October. And needless to say that, you know, every day of that year, uh, tears were flowing, right? Like you obviously you build your life with somebody and then they're not there. Everything that you have, every, everywhere that you go, uh, obviously memories are spirit of her. So that first year was very, very, uh, was very difficult. But after that first year, I looked and I just said, I, I said, you know what? Okay, is this all there is to life? All right, financially, okay, fine. Yeah, things are good. Um, you know, I don't need or want for anything in life. Uh, my kids are healthy, but is this all there is? And I don't know, other people have coined it a midlife crisis. I don't know, I was 43 at the time. And uh, I was just sitting there and, and, and wondering to myself, this can't be all there is, man. Like, you have to be able to do more. You have to be able to help people. You have to be able to deliver an impact. Whatever it is, there's got to be more to it. And I resolved kind of that day. I still remember it. It was November 2nd of uh, 2015. I said, you know something, life has to be lived. You got to keep moving forward. The best way to honor Ella's, Elizabeth's legacy was simply to raise, raise my kids to be, you know, like thoughtful and genuine and smart, you know, and, and that's what I concentrated on. Oh, sorry, my little dog there is, uh, he's <laughs> laughing, but that's what I ended up, that's what I ended up concentrating on was, um, was how can I make a difference? And it really did start quite honestly, internally. And I think this might resonate with the audience out there is that uh, you got to work on, you got to work on internal stuff first. Like, like when you have inner chaos, then there's outer chaos, right? It shows on your face. It shows in your body, shows in your posture, whatever it may be, the lack of a smile when you have inner chaos. And I was going through a lot of inner chaos in that period where my wife was going through what she was going through. And then I just said, you know what? You have to uh, relieve yourself of the inner chaos. And the only way to do that is to just take care of yourself and be good to yourself. So I started a program of exercising. When I was young, I exercised a lot. And then after I graduated university, I kind of fell out of the habit of exercising. Well, that November 2nd day, I got back into it. And it was just a small habit. I hadn't exercised in probably over 20 years. I got on a stationary bike and I said, okay, let me just try and get 10 minutes done. And I ended up doing it. And the next day I woke up, I said, let me get 10 more minutes done. And I ended up doing it. And now it's to the point where since November 2nd, I have not missed one single solitary day of exercise. 
So that was me being good to myself, taking care of myself on a physical nature. But then on the mental slash emotional nature, I was always a big reader. But then I just decided I wanted to do even more when it came to that. So I read about two hours a day, uh, whatever would be of interest to me. It might be about real estate. It might be about uh, economics. It might be about self-help. It might be a biography. But I said that for me to take care of myself on an outward basis, it's exercise. And on an inner basis, it's just, it's, it goes back to that concept of surrounding yourself with like-minded people. But it was not in, in a personal environment, like at a RAIN networking event. It was like, what are you doing when you're at home? to surround yourself with really great people. And now with the internet, uh, you can do it any which way you prefer. You know, you can buy courses, podcasts, like whatever it may be. So I, I, I do that every day. So nice. well done. yeah, that, that really is the, the key. So, so it sounds like you're, you're, you're well on your journey uh, on the next phase, whatever that next phase is. So, so yeah. what, what is next for Jay Gabrani in your life? Yes, that's, um, you know what, as you, as I took that year, uh, just to kind of get myself together and I realized, okay, you know, there has to be more to it. Um, I would, I just kind of went back to first principles. It is all right. You got to love what you do. And if you were going to do some business or you're going to do something, you have to kind of know what need it is that you're solving. So I'll tie this back to one story that took place uh, going back to August of 2015. It happened to do with one of our properties. It was a property um, in Oakville, purchased uh, with a joint venture partner. Joint venture partner was on title, had put in the money. And basically, we were coming to the uh, the five-year mortgage renewal was uh, coming up. Pro- property was purchased for 410 and had been... Um, appraised for 630 uh, last year, like that 2015 timeframe. We went and all we had on it was a first mortgage. That was a pretty small first mortgage, like 270-ish thousand or something. So we had uh, well over 300, uh, 350,000 of equity. We go to the bank where we had the first mortgage and we said, we'd like to get a readvanceable line of credit um, you know, the property's gone up in a lot of value. And long story short, they said no. And the reason they said no was is that your partner's income had not grown in proportion to the property's income. So I said, okay, that's fine. So then if you're not going to go directly to the bank, you go to a mortgage broker. Went to my mortgage broker. I said, yeah, this is a situation. We want to access all this equity. And he came up with this thing of, well, yeah, I can get you a second mortgage you know, you pay some fees and you pay interest. And I go, what are the numbers and the fees? And he said, well, it's like uh, 4% fees, 2% goes to the broker and 2% to the lender. I go, okay. And then the interest rate was somewhere in the neighborhood. He goes, depending on the loan to value, eight to 12%. I was like, really? That's very expensive. Because the whole idea was we wanted to extract that money and make eight to 10% a year. So there was no point of doing that and borrowing it and doing it. But what that experience did, Russell, was it opened my eyes up to the world of mortgage lending. They've given me the knowledge to fill up my real estate toolbox. And, you know, the strategies and tactics that that they teach, whether it's buy and hold, whether it's multifamily investing, whether it's flips, renovation flip, whatever it may be, um, they basically teach that. So, 
I was looking at it and saying, well, how about I increase my toolbox or I improve my toolbox and I become a lender? So I went and did a whole bunch of research again, because research reduces your risk. And I opened up something called the Oakville Mortgage Investment Corporation. So really what that is, a mortgage investment corporation, it's a you know legal structure. And I pool money from investors into this corporation, and the corporation lends it out as a uh, book of mortgages. What I love about it, Russell, is simply that it's all still real estate related. I am, again, uh, it's just another part of the toolbox. And it's more for people who are looking, all right, maybe we've been, I've been an equity guy my whole life whether it be in business, whether it be buy and hold real estate, I was always looking for the equity appreciation. And I looked at it as if the cash flow was there, that's great. But I was always looking for equity. But now the way the world is, the way the economy is, and after my real estate experiences, I said, okay, well, it would be good to do lending. And lending is more cash flow based. It's more security based. So it really just allows me to keep that toolbox going and and use lending to keep going in real estate. So that's what uh, I've been, uh, and it just started. The Oakville Mortgage Investment Corporation started earlier this year, and um, you know that that's where I see myself over the next three to five years is concentrating on lending. And there's a little hidden benefit to it is let's say that someone comes to me, I might not even be able to help them with a mortgage, but what's what's happening is is that it's almost like, in a weird way, it's lead generation for the next equity investments. And with, with a super hot real estate market like it is, let's be honest, like if, if uh, something hits MLS, uh, it's gonna be very, very tough to find value. I'm like in this neighborhood these days, it's all multiple offers, multiple bids. So it's really tough to buy value, which is what I look for when I'm buying real estate. But if lending is an avenue, people are coming to me with situations with their properties. and if I can help them, that's great. They can get a mortgage. But if I can't, then I can also look at how can I help you outside of lending? And that is just something that, um, uh, again, it would help those folks out of their problems. And it would help uh, for me to find really good value real estate. So that's what's going on now. And I'm really happy with it. I think that whole private mortgage lending area is uh, set to explode because there is a lot of money kind of sloshing around, I call it, and people are going to look for yield. Right now, um, all around the world, if people have called themselves traditionally an income investor, they are having difficulty finding yield right now is what my experience has been. And a mortgage investment corporation is basically my answer to, I can help those folks while also just staying involved in real estate. Nice. Well, well done. Nice, nice business model, my friend. You're, you're, you're providing a service of a lending. So you're making money like the banks and also you get a little bit of an acquisition play in it at the same time too. So, so well done. Yes. That's what I, what I just call the unintended benefit of it. So it's just, uh, yeah, you you just keep, um, just keep going that way. And uh, I, I think it's going to work very, very well. Nice. Well, well done. If there's anything, anything I can do to help you out or, or, or support you on that, you, you please reach out, let me know. And we're going to fire off, uh, we'll get your, we'll link up your email um, or a website here for you or a place where people can contact you here in a second. But um, just two final questions. Um, and this is one of them I've been asking most everyone um, 
towards the end of the interview. So let's say you're walking into this room and this room is, you know, it has no windows. It's just a door. And as soon as you open the door, there's two chairs sitting there. That's all that's mm -hmm. in the room is two chairs. And okay. in one of those chairs, there's this handsome, handsome, handsome young man. And when you actually look, you do a double take and you look at it and you see it's an 18-year-old Jay Gabrani sitting in the other chair. And you now have an opportunity of sitting kneecap to kneecap across from your 18-year-old self. What advice would yeah. you what advice would you give that young man? Wow, that's a uh, that's a good one. I'm gonna tie it back to the skills. I think one of the earlier questions was like skills that are important. I would tell my 18-year-old self uh, the the lesson that we talked about focus. I would say if you want to invest in real estate, Jay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and research until you're comfortable with the area. So I want you to focus on one area. I want you to focus on one type of property. If you are going to bring in joint venture partners, I want you to focus on one kind of what is your ideal investor and focus and just really pinpoint because it's so much easier to find what you're looking for when you kind of know what you're looking for, as opposed to just casting this wide net. When I first joined Rain in 2005, Russell, I don't know if you remember those, those uh, when we had the little people, the people can go up and do their announcements, like they were looking for joint venture deals or whatever. They might talk about a deal in Brantford or a deal in Edmonton or a deal in Barrie. So I, I found myself early on always running around. And that it was good experience because you kind of learn how to do the, the scorecard and everything. But at the end of the day, when you focus, uh, magical stuff can happen. So it would be all about that focus and, and cut up the area, the property, the joint venture partner, um, your presentation. Uh, I remember joint venture secrets, your um, uh, your your modules. I, I went through all those DVDs and I set up a presentation, which. I still have to this day. And basically I just reuse it, reuse it whenever I'm going to speak with a joint venture partner. So it's all about focus and uh, the resourcefulness and the resiliency, I think, build up over time. I don't know if I could say at 18, you know, become resilient. I think you have to go through experiences to become resilient, but uh, the focus part certainly is uh, what I would 100% concentrate on. Nice. Great advice. Great advice. I, I know at 18, I would tell myself, don't, you know, don't get too attached to your hair. It'll soon be gone. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so. we have a total different mindset. Definitely. Oh, fantastic. So, so Jay, I just want to take a moment here to just um, acknowledge you. Um, for you coming on the line with uh, um, a, an open heart and sharing your story and just being a wonderful, bright light and um, just you sharing that story may impact somebody that you don't e haven't even met yet. And I think that just um, it's very courageous of you and, and you really have embodied the whole life of being a wonderful father and a wonderful human being. And I just wanted to acknowledge you for that, my friend. Oh, I thank you so much, brother. Thanks very, very much. Before we do sign off, um, Jay, if where do you hang out? Where do where can people uh, uh, hook up uh, with you if you want to drop you an email or if they've been touched by your story here? Where's a, a website, an email, or your Facebook or your Snapchat? Where are you hanging out, my friend? Sure. Um, well, yeah, actually, when it comes down to focus, uh, social media is another one where I only really operate on two of them. 
for more businessy stuff, if people are on LinkedIn, they can uh, search me up, Jay Gabrani, G-A-B-R-A-N-I. And if it's not LinkedIn, then yeah, certainly send me an email. Uh, love to hear from people. If there is anyone that uh, you know would have any questions about anything that they've heard, would uh, would love to speak with you. Um, I think it's just part of uh, my world. So the email address is uh, j at jgabrani.com. Nice. Well, thanks very much. We'll make sure we have the, have all that linked out when we do send that out to people. So, so ladies and gentlemen, I hope you, uh, this story has, has moved me here. So I, I hope it's been uh, an incredible inspiration. And, and Jay, that would probably be the last word I'd leave is just thank you for being a, an inspiration for people listening to this. So thank you for your time today. I uh, loved being with you, Russell. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, to everyone out there, I hope that you use real estate to create your wealth and secure your future. Like I said, there's that toolbox. Build your toolbox and do what's good for you. Thanks very much. Fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is another Building Real Estate Wealth interview. Signing off, this is Russell Westcott from the Real Estate Investment Network. Bye for now. You've just listened to the latest Building Real Estate Wealth episode. And on behalf of the entire team at the Real Estate Investment Network, I wanted to thank you for your time. Feel free to share this episode with a family member or a friend and help inspire somebody in your life. If you're feeling inspired and moved by this amazing story and would like to author your very own real estate success story, I would like to invite you to take the next steps that are right for you. If you're not sure where to start, the following three steps will set you up on the pathway to success. First, use a real estate investing system that has been tested in all market conditions. Next, make sure you surround yourself with like-minded investors. And finally, take some action. A membership within the Rain family will help you accomplish all three and put you firmly on the pathway to success. You can always go to raincanada.com or you can call 1-888-824-7346 to make sure that this is a fit for you or if you have any questions. Once again, thank you for your time and we look forward to helping you author your real estate success stories.